Hello, fellow lovers and movie lovers alike. I'm Haley. And I'm Javi. And you're listening to the Just, Just Be Polly podcast, where we discuss movies and in the end answer the question Could these problems be solved with polyamory? Let's find out. Today we're talking about Brokeback Mountain. This was Javi's choice. Javi, why did you choose this film? Of all the films in the world, I chose this film because, well, it's kind of cliche for a podcast to cover Brokeback Mountain, I guess. There's just so many people have talked about it, but never from a polyamorous standpoint, I don't think. I mean, with all the movies we cover, but I just really love this movie. I fell in love with it. I love slow meditative movies i love movies that really take their time and really just let you sit in the world there are some movies that you watch it and you just want to exist in that world you just want to be there like i get that feeling with lord of the rings and i'm glad it's so long like the director's cut so long and this movie even though it's only about two hours you because of its slow pace you really get to live in there for a, a while you've you get to seep in all the beautiful nature, the the world of the of that sixties, seventies, eighties country, and I really like that. And when I saw it the first time, um, it made me cry, and it was just heartbreaking and beautiful at the same time, and just harrowing. And it just it's one of those movies. You know, a movie is good when it stays in your head for the next couple of days, up to the next couple of weeks, like. I couldn't stop thinking about this movie. And so I've just been waiting. I've been waiting for, for my chance. And now it finally is here. That's really exciting. Um, I'm already feeling like really excited to chat with you about this because I do think that this movie does hit a bit more for you. Um, just as like we relate to films. I I did we have we have discovered upon viewing this movie together that and also the shining recently javi took me to cap city video lounge here in tallahassee florida and we watched the shining and i hated it and i was not (laughs) expecting that because i love horror and i love watching movies with javi but i was literally falling asleep because it was so slow and with brokeback mountain we actually um ate this in two different evenings because it was just so much and I was falling asleep. So I've, I'm really appreciating your perspective and the diversity between how we consume films. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have discovered Haley doesn't like slow films. Yeah. 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 And Javi, like, I think that your perspective kind of helps me slow down and appreciate things that maybe wouldn't stick out to me because like I have kind of noticed maybe about myself is that words are very important to me and it's like I think maybe harder for me to pick up on um subtlety of action 
which is why I think that I maybe try so hard to learn about communication and body language and stuff like that because that stuff is not so like like I actually me and Javi have um, a book called Life 101 that is like a it's like a long story but to just like summarize it we like to um, when when we have time and we're good with our goals we like to research questions that we get curious about and I actually had to Google when was the appropriate time to hug somebody because stuff like that uh, just kind of feels very like uncomfortable for me to figure out when to do so I did notice that like when it came down to the scenes that like I could reflect on that I did enjoy more than other scenes in this film they were usually talking scenes and upon doing research on this film it does seem like a lot of the story like you're talking about actually unfolds in the activity and what is left unsaid um which is not how I navigate it's not how I operate so it's very very different for me to tap into the mindset of not only a cis man which is not something I can relate to um I can't relate to well I can I think maybe nowadays um you know like uh the repression is what I'm talking about. I can think, I think I can relate to that a bit more. And I was, we, Javi and I were just having a conversation before we turned the mics on about how we really thought that doing this podcast once a month was very beneficial to us and, and how we can live our lives and fail and go through experiences that impact how we communicate to you guys here on this podcast and and walk our journey and try to offer as much help and advice and and wisdom in our journey that we can. So recently I have come out as bi on my Instagram like on a story and that was like a big deal and I had an experience that was like really affirming in homosexuality. So this is actually like a really interesting movie to cover at this point in my journey and I can offer more um a more of a mindset than I could have last month so this is really exciting like and I I wasn't even I I wasn't out as by when I saw this movie yeah <laughs> like recently like it was a this was like a last week kind of some thing. conservative is gonna be like oh you see this movie brainwashed her <laughs> <laughs> no but i i feel you yeah and you know i can't relate in the sense that i'm not gay to this movie but you're I not gay to this movie i'm not i'm not gay <laughs> yeah I'm not you gay are for totally gay for this movie <laughs> i'm gay for this movie yes but i can relate in the sense that as a cis man it's there is a clouding from society from societal norms that inhibits emotional intimacy or connection be between men and that i've experienced definitely where there's there's always a distance that you have to keep so no homo yeah no homo i mean that phrase alone jesus like i say it ironically now but that's like a real that's like a real thing like just you know hey man i love you no homo like that's a thing that i've heard so so much and you know, There's a song I would love to recommend to people that kind of embodies this, I think, really well. Um, it's called Don't Tell the Boys. And I, I, it reminded me of um, when Javi hangs out with his friends. Not necessarily because they like act like this, but it's Don't Tell the Boys by Petey. And it, I think it kind of like sums up 
um, the experiences that Javi is communicating right now. Yeah. So, you know, when I see, when I see this movie, when I see stories like this, uh, it, even though I am not homosexual, what I connect with is the wanting to connect with, a with another man, uh, just on an emotional level, um, that, you know, seeing two, two people do it, especially in this movie where like, they're, they're like man's men, you know, like really rough, rugged guys, like very handy, you know, like the man's man. Like the, yeah. the epitome of what you see, what you think of when you think a stereotypical man. Yeah, it's like a cowboy. Down like a, to the like boots. A straight up cowboy. Yeah. And like seeing like the toughest men yeah. also be so vulnerable and raw and emotional and intimate with each other that it's like inspiring almost uh, to think like, wow, well, these guys can be vulnerable with each other. Mm. You know, I wouldn't <laughs> say that. I mean, like, it's kind of like they're dipping into it. But there's still so much repression. Just seeing characters like that is uh, is something that stuck in my head. And you know, this movie is the same thing with uh, a movie like Moonlight, uh, which won the the Oscar for for best picture of the year um, over La La Land in 2016, maybe. I want to say I don't remember when those two came out, but. Yeah, that was another movie. There's been a lot of movies like that that I've been wanting to watch. More more queer films I've been wanting to see. Uh, like Tangerine. Or I've seen Blue is the Warmest Color. But I can't say I've seen many. And uh, I want to I wanna explore more. So if anyone has recommendations. I have been more homosexuality in my media consumption. Mm-hmm. What is your history with this film? So my history with this film is I have heard a lot about it um like a well not even a lot like i just was very aware that it was a deeply impactful and um like i didn't know if it was sad or not but i did understand it was extremely gay um and that's pretty much it that's all i know i think i've heard i've i've seen it like used at as the butt of gay jokes throughout my life like maybe twice you know not a lot but so it's just like I'm, i've i've heard about it that's pretty much it i i didn't see it it didn't really look like something i would be really into um and i guess that was true in the end it's just still not a movie i would necessarily gravitate towards but it does feel like a classic it feels like like with a lot of classics it's just kind of something that needs to be seen because when you watch classics you understand it's like a time capsule for society and culture. And when you have those um, nuggets of wisdom and knowledge, I think they just better help you understand um, the general cultural mindset and how it changes through time. Mm -hmm. Because it's films like this that change people's minds. Yeah. And, you know, art reveals things about human nature. And you, so true. You know, at different times and periods and places, like some some people with certain mindsets might have their mindsets changed or seeds planted because of this film. They can see themselves in characters when they're laid out in front of them versus like, you know, like for me, like I just said, I can't relate to like this rugged cowboy cis man, but you know, I can relate to heartbreak and all the feel like some feelings that they might be experiencing. And then I can put myself in their shoes. And when people can see humanity or themselves and things that they couldn't connect with before, then they're, they're now, they're now in that character, that characters in them. And 
you know, that movie just will will get inside a lot of people's hearts and minds a lot better. Yeah. So, Javi, what is this movie about? So, Brokeback Mountain is about two modern-day cowboys that meet on a sheep herding job in the summer of 63. The two share a raw and powerful summer together that turns into a lifelong relationship conflicting with the lives they were supposed to live. Cool. Thanks, Javi. Hey, that's what I'm here for. (laughs) So is there anything that you were wondering about as this film went on? Yeah, so I was really intrigued in basically everything behind the scenes happening here. Um, I I really wondered where... Who was involved with this story? Like, how did this amazing movie come to be? Brokeback Mountain is based off of a short story by the same name by a writer named Annie Prulo. Pru? Pro? P-R-O-U-L-X. P-R-O-U-L-X. Sounds French. I don't know. <laughs> it's probably French. <laughs> um, she was inspired to write it when she noticed a middle-aged man in a bar who appeared to be only watching men playing pool, which led her to consider the life of a typical Western ranch hand who might be gay. If you didn't know, this story was not only turned into a movie, it was also turned into a play, an opera, and... Holy crap. Who knows how many fan fictions. I would love to watch all... No no fan fiction, but I would love to watch an opera on this. Mm -hmm. That sounds fascinating. I'd love to watch a play on this. It'd be amazing. Yeah. And also shorter, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Um, This movie was directed by Ang Lee, who he made one of my favorite films ever, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which also deals with a uh, forbidden love storyline, which I think would be great to cover. Um... It also deals with repression and some some similar arcs, some similar themes. Um, he also directed Hulk and Life of Pi. Um, so, when this movie was being made, Ang Lee approached many people, many famous people like Matt Damon and a whole bunch of other famous actors in the in the time for the lead roles. But get this, they were either too scared or quote unquote creeped out by the by the script to take parts to take the parts so heath ledger thought the script was beautiful so he put himself forward and so did jake gyllenhaal and jake gyllenhaal said this about the film what ties these two two characters together is not just a love but a loneliness i think primarily it was deep loneliness and what i always say about brokeback mountain which I think maybe over time is more understood is that this is about two people desperately looking for love to be loved and who were probably capable of it. And they just found it with someone of the same sex. And that does not dismiss the fact that it is about really primarily the first kind of very profound gay love story. Hopefully it can create an equality of an idea that is it's possible that you can find love anywhere that intimacy exists in so many places that convention and society won't always allow us to see. And we won't allow ourselves to see because of what criticism and danger it might provoke. I thought that was pretty deep. Totally. Yeah. And this movie was part of a movement called quote, new queer cinema. And because of the sexualities of the two main characters, it was obviously 
blasted with criticism and censored by conservative media outlets, but that still didn't stop the film from being nominated for Best Picture, winning Best Director, winning Best Adapted Screenplay, and winning Best Original Score at the Oscars in 06. So That's amazing. Yeah, three awards and a nom, and it was in, inducted in the National Film uh, Archive, I believe, uh, because it was it was stated to be um culturally and historically significant yeah so a lot of praise for this film i'm I'm glad you know because if there wasn't praise for this film if it was like still some like underground cult kind of thing i just uh i would lose some faith in humanity um one more thing about the background of this is this is from the writer this is i found this super interesting so several years after the film's release the writer annie prue pearl said she regrets writing the story. She said that people have sent her too much fan fiction presenting alternative plots. Some authors, mostly men claiming to, quote, understand men better than I do, often send their works to her. And she said, Brokeback Mountain is the source of constant irritation in my private life. There are countless people out there who think the story has open range to explore their fantasies and to correct what they see as an unbearably disappointing story. They constantly send ghastly manuscripts and pornish rewrites of the story to me, expecting me to reply with praise and applause for, quote, fixing the story. They certainly don't get the message that if you can't fix it, you've got to stand it. Yeah, that's so. Cause that's a quote from the movie. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. Most like, of, if you can't you can't mm-hmm. fix it, you gotta stand it. Yeah, most of these quote fix it tales have the character Ennis finding a husky boyfriend and living happily ever after. Oh well, or, they just don't like seeing Ennis suffer at the end. Yeah, or discovering the character Jack is not really dead after all. Yeah, or, people just don't like the heartbreak. Yeah, or having the two men's children meet and marry, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone just wants a happy ending. Yeah, everyone ju- just wants or, a happy ending. Or they ending. just want them want more to see more dicks, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. More dicks. More, more dicks. happiness and more, more dicks. dicks. More dicks. <laughs> that was only scratching the surface. There's so much to the story of making this film and it was just uh yeah, there was a lot of love from the people who made it. Uh, a lot of people turned away from it from even there's so many directors and producers approached before Angley and his team and he was the one that that said yes to it because there was like probably like five other directors approached before him and he got the manuscript and he, he was shedding tears the whole way through and he said immediately yes and he got his best people on it and like everyone that got on the board with that wow. was was filled with love for the story and i think that was really beautiful and it really co- it, was, it really shows it's a it's a it's a tragic story and it was handled with care and I think that really, really shows. Thank you. Yeah. What? Uh, what did you? What were you wondering about for this film? I was wondering about beating laundry with a stick. You know, huh? like they did that. They they beat some laundry with a stick up in that mountain, and I was just wondering why. Oh, <laughs> I guess to get the water out. So, um. So. The answer is, um, in the case of dirtier clothes, beating helps to get the heavier dirt out. 
as stated in Newton's second law of motion. Stop. Unless, <laughs> <laughs> unless acted upon by a force, an object will not get automatically displaced. Laundry 101 for you fools. Okay. Mic drop. <laughs> that's all i was wondering about. that's it that's, that's the it. whole thing okay that's all I, that got me curious i saw that and i went hmm <laughs> <laughs> Haley understood everything about the film except that <laughs> no I mean, it probably all went over my head <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny okay so do you want to speak on the music yeah so the music was created by gustavo santoalala Oh, that sounds right. Uh, no, probably not right at all. <laughs> but he, he's a... My man's got game. So he also made the music for The Last of Us video game, uh, Jane the Virgin, Making a Murderer, and Babel, the, the movie. Um, not the language learning app. No, no. <laughs> um, I think the music in Brokeback is just so serene and warm. Mm. The gentle guitar picking every time we see the mountains, the rivers... The gorgeous Wyoming nature is just, oh, it touches my heart. I just, that's, that's what I was talking about earlier. Like, that's why I, I love this slow pace. Because when we get those shots, that beautiful guitar, just on the mountain. And it's so ironic to think that in these beautiful places, there can be such disgusting, hateful people. Oh, gosh. You know, I've still been thinking about that murder scene. Yeah, that play, that's in my head sometimes. Like sometimes I, I really wish that I could scrub out some things I see in cinema. You know, because mm. it's like, you know, sometimes you just. This might sound silly, but I didn't consent to see that. Mm -hmm. I guess I technically did. I, you know, I watched the movie. I watched the movie, but you know, you they you, you might get a rating, but they never really warn you what you're gonna see. And I wasn't expecting to see such a real looking cadaver yeah you know and then the story behind it you know it just um it's just it's deeply upsetting like there are some things where like in the walking dead for example javi's aware of this one scene that i was uh broken about did, and i i grounded myself from tv how long did i not watch tv for because of that one scene she didn't watch dead? tv again for 11 years shut up <laughs> shut up like uh maybe it was like a week or two i literally and like uh for anyone who doesn't know like tv's a pretty consistent thing in my life like it's like maybe two hours a day or something and like we literally have a movie podcast yes we, we <laughs> love tv so um i'll have it on you know all the time while i'm doing stuff and you know, it's just like, it's just like constantly on for it. So for me to be so upset that it was entirely removed from my life um, is huge. And I like there, it. Luckily, it wasn't that bad, of course, watching Brokeback Mountain, but it was definitely up there in terms of and I love horror. Like I said, I love horror. But there was something that was very, very deeply unsettling mm. about um, seeing that cadaver. Well, simultaneously, I think it was important for people to see the the reality of what those situations can be and have been for people in the past sometimes you gotta and sometimes still are probably yeah sometimes you gotta break a couple legs for for people to, to get it yeah so 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 yeah i'm getting chills right now talking about it like even though that was like obviously super super horror horrid um i still think that you know that kind of really hammers home the message of 
you know, because you can look at these characters, you can judge them and think, you know, like, oh, if they just were freer, you know, if they just were more open minded and just got out of that bubble, then they could be mm-hmm. happy. But these were the real circumstances that they were up against. And not only were they up against, eventually entirely succumbed to. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's like it, it's impactful as a viewer to watch it. And it was so impactful for Ennis as a kid to see the 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 memory that he was talking about of his father showing him the body of a man who was tortured and killed for suspected homosexuality it wasn't even confirmed they suspected it yeah and he becomes so repressed from this and presumably many other experiences that he refuses to create a life with jack you know they're they're both masculine cowboys but they still can't help falling for each other and especially ennis is so troubled by this Jack is more than happy to abandon his wife and, and kid to have a cabin and a farm with Ennis. But Ennis, is, Ennis refuses to abandon his family and work for Jack, or work with Jack, even though deep inside he wants to. He's too scared and Jack isn't. And in the end, that's what happens to Jack. He gets killed for his sexuality and Ennis ends up alone anyways. And it's just... Though, those scenes, it's like... It puts us in, we're, we're in the character's shoes, and that's the type of impact uh, that they, we're, we're not even getting close to the type of impact that they, they would actually feel. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, so the music was cool. With the music, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the music was pretty dope. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually don't even recall the music. Um, and uh, on speaking on the visual art aspect, um, and one of the things that I was thinking about honing in on was the cowboy hats and like the history of the cowboy hat. Um, but I got so bored by learning about that that I chose <laughs> to try to find something else. And I, I couldn't really. But then I, I you know, you know, just kind of d- I, I realized that the main visual aspect of this film is the landscapes, kind of like how you were touching on. And just like how this movie is like not my cup of tea, landscapes are also not my cup of tea. I prefer <laughs> to draw people um or have like a, a subject you whereas know? i uh when he i draw it's, it's all landscapes <laughs> it's really funny draw, and i've watched every episode of bob ross and yeah so. and, and i put him on to go to sleep <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is funny this is really this is really a telling i think um so i did decide to you know go into landscapes a little bit more to try to like you know, hone in the visual art aspect of it because that's clearly the focus, especially upon doing research and seeing what other people thought. Um, so what I have about landscapes, um, Brokeback Mountain is named so, which I, I thought this was kind of cool, because it resembles someone bending over in pain. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Wow. And um, I saw a different, uh, you know, video essay that someone was, uh, talking about how it um, um, parallels when Ennis watched Jack leave in his truck after the initial contact mm-hmm. and then uh, goes to the alley and like just crumples over in pain. Um, they were talking about how the mountain was equal parts masculine and feminine. Um, like how Ennis was in that moment. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. Mm. Um, so that was, that was cool. Um, another thing is, um, landscapes 
are portrayed in many westerns, which I'm sure you know, being the the cinemaphile you are. I actually hate westerns. <laughs> I don't like watching westerns. I wouldn't say it's te- it's necessarily my favorite genre either. Um, I actually can't even think of one I like right now. The, the only one that I've oh, seen. Best Little Horse in Texas. That's a western, isn't it? Uh, Does, is, I, I consider that just a musical. So, so what makes a western then? The good, the bad, and the ugly is the only western I've seen. And from what I remember, wait, would Bonnie and Clyde be a western? I don't know. I don't actually even remember seeing it. We saw it together. Oh, we did. Yeah. Oh, whoops. Well, I must have not stuck. I guess I don't so really. Is it, is it like anything that features like ranch life or I some guess type so, of like country aspect? Would that? I mean, Back to the Future Three would be considered a western, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. So let's not touch on it because we don't know <laughs> yeah. anything about that. All right. But um, so landscapes are portrayed in many westerns, but are typically associated with desolate deserts with wide open spaces. Um. While Brokeback Mountain features mountainsides with greenery that conceals the characters. So what that person was kind of touching on was like by being concealed by all the mountains and and the shrub, um, they're able to be free. Um, Which is why they chose landscapes like that versus the the open spaces. I thought that that was pretty cool. Yeah, they have some privacy in there. Insightful. It's just their own little spot. Yeah, it, it's where they're safe. Javi, do you have a favorite scene? Yeah, I liked a lot when Jake Gyllenhaal's character, Jack Twist, stands up to his shitty father-in-law. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I was so, like, fist pump in the air. <laughs> like That was awesome. Yeah, he, he's, like, talking at the dinner table. And his kid uh, wants to keep watching the football game, even though his mom just spent like six hours on this Thanksgiving meal. And he's like, hey, buddy, let's, we're going to turn off the TV while we eat. And he turns off the football game. And then the father-in-law gets up. He goes back and sits down. And the father-in-law gets up and he goes to turn on the TV. And he's like, a growing boy needs some football. And he sits back down. Gross. <laughs> I know. And then Jack gets up and he's like, his mom just spent this much time on this meal. He were going to enjoy it and pay attention to the meal. He turns out the TV and then the dad gets up again to go turn it on again. And then he, Jack just like loses it. He's like, you sit down, you old son of a bitch. This is my house. This is my child. And you are my guest. And you sit down before I knock your ignorant ass in the next week. The guy's just like shook no words and just sits just sits his ass down and that's the first time probably anyone has ever stood up to that guy and his wife is like got a little smirk on her face you know and the kid she starts eating supported, i think yeah and the, and the kid starts eating his meal you know because he wasn't doing it before and she was like, like yeah dad shut the fuck up but <laughs> yeah. you said it with a smirk yeah did you have a favorite scene yeah it was kind of hard for me to pick a favorite scene because um, this movie, in terms of experiencing as a film, was a muted experience for me. There were bits and pieces that stuck out. You know, like one line here or like a, a, a facial expression there. But it was really hard for me to hone in on a scene that I like enjoyed or that, you know, I thought was 
um, maybe the best one. But um, I finally honed in on um, the fight that they had after 20 years of um, rendezvous is the best way to, to summarize it. You got a better idea? I did once. We did once. Have you been to Mexico, Jack Twist? Hmm? Because I hear what they go to Mexico for boys like you. Hell yes, I've been to Mexico. Is that a fucking problem? this one and I'll say it just once go ahead tell you what we could have had a good life together fucking real good life had us a place of our own but you didn't want it Ennis so what we got now is broke back now everything's built on that that's all we got boy fucking all so I hope you know that if you don't never know the rest you count the damn few times that we have been together in nearly 20 years and you measure the short fucking leash you keep me on and then you ask me about Mexico and you tell me you kill me for needing something I don't hardly never get. You have no idea how bad it gets. And I'm not you. I can't make it on a couple of high altitude fucks once or twice a year. You are too much for me, Ennis. You sound like a horse and bitch. I wish I knew how to quit you. Then why don't you... Why don't you just let me be, huh? Because of you, Jack, that I'm like this. Nothing. I'm nowhere. Get the fuck off me! Sorry. It's alright. Damn you, Kim. I can't stand this anymore, Jack. Oh, hubby. Oh no. You can't cry because then if you cry, then I'm gonna cry. I um very rarely enjoy not enjoy, that's a weird way to phrase that, but I like when Javi cries. Um he doesn't do it that often. And um it always to me feels like um like a good thing. Movies really got me. That that one line that you said, I wish I knew how to quit you. Wow. He wants that with Jack. He wants to, to have a life and build it with him. He's so clenched. Yeah, he just can't. He just There's such a hard block. There's so many different reasons, you know. What, what he thinks he should be. Uh, he, he 
he said in one of his interactions with Jack earlier in the movie, like, you know, like, you know, this thing when it gets a hold of us, you know, and he was implying that like, it's like a a monster is how I think he's putting it metaphorically that like takes hold of them. And that's the last time they see each other. That was the last You're time. You're kidding. Yeah, because then we see, um, we see that he got his letter to Jack came back and Jack was deceased. So, because oh, wow. he wanted, he, he wrote him a letter. He wanted to reach out, you know, because they had a, a fight. And oh, I didn't know that. That's hitting me on a whole different level right now. Yeah. And his his wife, uh, Jack's wife, when Ennis calls her, she uh, is after. so. Um, there's just the way that she reacted in that phone call was very confusing to me. It was like she was talking about, like the way that she was talking about her husband was so distanced that it felt like she was talking about her close friend's grandmother, like. Just so distant. Well, he did say, Jack did say that, you know, their their marriage, they basically could do it over the phone. Yeah. And I, I remember thinking that and I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's his cover. He doesn't, he doesn't care. You know, they might have, they might have had sex and been intimate. They had and a have, baby. Had a baby, have a whole family, but that's not where his heart is. Yeah. Yeah, so his wife is is going through some different emotions. Like she's being very monotone on the on the phone call. She seems angry to me. Yeah, she's angry because um, she realizes what she knows what happened, and she has this whole cover story that's not true at all. A tire did not pop in his face. He got murdered for by these guys. He, yeah. he got jumped. Why do you like? I think that you told me that you thought. The reason that she had that cover was because of shame. Like she didn't. Yeah, want people she's to embarrassed. Know. She's yeah. embarrassed mm-hmm. by what happened. It's for me. It's a little like mind-boggling that she's more concerned with the perception of what this what she was experiencing versus the horror of what actually happened. Hmm. It's like the perception is more important. Well, that's how I'm perceiving it is more important than the truth. She also was probably, you know, angry and, uh, and, uh, spiteful a little bit. Um, maybe she she feels like he wasted her life. Yeah. Can you imagine being with someone for 20 years who was lying to you about such an integral part of them? It was a false marriage in her eyes. I'm surprised she didn't leave sooner. One of them did leave. One of them did not. That's leave. true. We have like a totally different, um, you know, a POA mm-hmm. for each of these situations. And both of them knew about what was going on. What makes you think that Anne Hathaway's character knew about Jack? Uh, I think there was some indication that she knew eventually, like way, yeah, way deep into it. For me, I knew for sure she knew when he was dead. But other mm-hmm. than that, I didn't really know when she knew. I had, I, I think maybe we're kind of in that space with her of suspicion and not necessarily truth until he was murdered for it. And then mm-hmm. we understand that she knows it to be true. But maybe this whole time, just like we were unsure of 
what she thought she wasn't sure as well yeah maybe maybe she finally knew on that phone call and that's why she started crying like oh you're you're the guy okay so it, she it didn't was start true crying yeah she was she was she crying? was tearing up oh i totally didn't get that mm-hmm. oh yeah but ennis's wife she knew immediately because she saw them she saw them making oh, out well yeah no i thought you meant immediately like when they met she knew or something but yeah mm-hmm. like she straight up like well that's kind of undeniable versus like the experience that Anne Hathaway's character had was more like, um, was more like, oh, he goes on these fishing trips a lot and he seems to go to Mexico. And I've heard things about Mexico. Good thing he stays away from those, those kinds of people or something like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, like, um, Ennis's wife had more of an in your face confrontation that led, it was a, a catalyst for the relationship ending. Yeah, and she she did not confront him until the whole relationship was over and they were separated. Like, and the way that want... Ennis reacted to her, he literally was like, he threatened to hurt her because she brought it up. I was so shocked at that. Yeah, and it he he was probably thinking, oh, she knows that could get me killed. He, yeah, like he he he's been found out, you know, like a cop just found you know, three grand worth of cocaine in your trunk or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But she, she didn't, there was no confrontation, not even a talk, not nothing, nothing like that. Just, she just took it. It's like that quote, if you can't fix it, you stand it. She, she was embodying that. Like she didn't fix it. She, she was just standing it. I guess because they had like, Two girls, like you know, three. I think also the, the mindset around marriage. Sorry to interrupt, but that's what I think it is: is the mindset around marriage and like what a what a partnership is supposed to look like. Like, I don't know. This was nineteen fifties, nineteen sixty three that they started, and it was for twenty years till nineteen eighty three. Yeah, I don't know what what point in American history people started divorcing more regularly, but I I would suspect it's probably within the last 60 years or so. So I, I am aware of a mindset of people being like, there were like the only way that you could get a divorce was like some type of extreme circumstance. So maybe, maybe that was her mindset, even if women around her might've been more progressive in getting divorces without, um, you know, some type of extreme catalyst to the divorce. Um, maybe in that day and time, it was very um, frowned upon to even be a single mother. So um, there might have been a lot of social stigma that she was experiencing as a woman that prevented her from exiting the marriage. Mm-hmm. Man, Ennis is a complicated character. He's so emotionally distant. Even from his daughters, there was one point where like they had a shouting match, and the the wife went to to go to work, and then he just sees his daughters like swinging on the swings, and he's like, "You girls need to push or something." Yeah. And they're like, "No," and he just keeps walking away and kicks a trash can or something. He's like so emotionally volatile, like so sometimes just so yeah, like he's he's so re- repressed, but when he does let emotion out, it comes out in huge bursts usually violent usually violent yeah yes you're right it just builds 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 until it just explodes yeah he has no outlet yeah emotionally um not intelligent how do you say that unintelligent yeah i don't necessarily think he's 
Maybe a little bit, but he's just, it's not, I think it's not a lack of emotional intelligence and understanding. I think that might be a part of it, but I do like how we keep saying it's repression, like not allowing yourself to feel those feelings. Um, I would like to share an experience that I had that helped me understand myself um, in terms of like coming out as bisexual recently. So like, um, I had an experience recently um, where I was with a woman and I found myself like getting like really aroused in the situation. And I also had this feeling come over me like a thought that I was extremely perverted. Um, then and uh, I realized in the moment I was able to deconstruct what that feeling was and where it was coming from. And it was, um, I think, just coming from a feeling of shame or like I wasn't supposed to be looking at a woman like that. So and if I was, my immediate conditioned response was that I was a pervert. And that's not really a feeling that I've encountered before in my life. Um, you know, so so um, in my face. And um, that that really helped me understand maybe why this um this didn't happen sooner Mm. so i don't know like trying to understand my experience and through the lens of this character as well i can understand how blocks can appear where it's not even like it's not even like a purposeful thing like sometimes it could be purposeful like you know jack comes to hug him and he pushes him away and that's a purposeful repression Versus that was like a brick wall in my head that I didn't even know was blocking me. Happy for you to be able to climb over that wall. Thank you. I am very pleased about it and to be like, you know, just like exist in this space where I'm just allowing myself to do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Favorite quotes. My favorite quote is... If you can't fix it, you've got to stand it. It fits so many times in life, and it's the sad reality of their lives. They can't change the society they live in. They can't just go out and make a life together, so they're forced to have their relationship in secrecy. And that's, they, with what they have, they try to do their best. They they just stand it. And so many times I've felt like that, where it feels like I can't change my situation, so... I practice patience or resilience and I just, I just stand it. I feel like a lot of people could connect to that. What's your favorite quote? I have two. Yeah. Um, my first one, um, was when, and I'll, I'll say this one. Usually I have it lined up. Um, they were in the, oh, sorry. Anne Hathaway's character and Jack were in a bar and Anne Hathaway was making eyes at him from across the room. And I guess I could see myself in Anne Hathaway, this like, um, what do you remember what the wife's name was? Alma is Ennis's wife, and Lorene was Anne Hathaway's character. Lorene? Yes. It was Jack's okay. wife. So I saw myself in Lorene um, in the way that she was like this kind of like sexual, I perceived bouncy, bubbly, brave. Uh, socially person you know like um so she she's making eyes at this cute guy from across the way and she approaches him right <laughs> i know what you're gonna say yeah and then she said um 
what are you waiting for, cowboy mate and call? <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. It's so fitting with the, the cowboy Western aesthetic. Too. Yeah, yeah. Mating call. Yeah, you're right. Um, and then um, the, the, another quote that I've been really enjoying that I actually found myself saying sometimes um, is this. Jack fucking twist. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> okay. Like, I've randomly, since we've been watching that movie, I'll just say, Jack fucking twist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here are a couple of my other favorite quotes. Um, Sometimes I miss you so much, I can hardly stand it. I felt that way so many times with you. Oh, I, f- I do too. Another one is, there's never enough time. This is a goddamn bitch of an unsatisfactory situation. <laughs> yeah. No more beans. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no more beans. Um, I wish I knew how to quit you. And this one was funny. It was a two-parter because she said something and then you said something in response. Me? Yeah. So this was uh, pertaining to the waitress that Ennis uh, started dating after him and uh, Alma broke up, divorced. He was in this like diner or whatever, and this waitress like started dancing with him, and they started dating, and he ghosted her, and like I don't know how much time later she's like all, she's like with this new guy, and she walks into a diner that he's so happened to be at, and she walks in and she's like goes up to him, and they have a a, a chat, and she's like teary eyed and like very angry, and he was like, hey, you know, I probably wasn't any fun anyways, and she says. Girls don't fall in love with fun. And Haley's response was, I thought girls just wanted to have fun. I'm confused. <laughs> well, that was my favorite quote. I love you, bro. <laughs> I love you, sis. Stop. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Not on the podcast. I'll be save it for later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, I'm actually I'm discovering um some notes that I've took I've taken down. So um some notes I wrote while watching. Uh, first sex scene came out of nowhere. Oh yeah. So <laughs> no eyes were made. I didn't anything. notice no eyes. You know? I didn't notice no glances. Mm-hmm, no nothing. energy changes. No tension. It was just like. But then I guess that's so how expected it was or not expected but like built up it was that it was it's just literally so under our radar but for them it was very very extremely powerful where they jumped each other's bones like they had been in an established relationship yeah that's pretty wild they just went in there raw like very dry too i was like "Mm." Yeah, it was a yeah, rough set. It's, it's interesting too like because ennis is definitely the more repressed character that he immediately took Jack from behind, like mm-hmm. immediately, like bent him over, like he was he was a pro. I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a top for sure. Yeah, he totally is. Um, so that was that was a yeah. I got spicy quick. Um, I wrote um, the the way that I wrote this. Oh, uh, they shot that scene like a bunch of different times. Oh, really? Just to make sure they got it right. And apparently, so what? Ang Lee is so good at doing as a director is, you know, what all great directors do. They let the actors play. So what he did was they had the tent set up and they set up the cameras way far away 
like way zoomed in and just like remote controlled or whatever. It's just so it can be very intimate and just them by themselves in this tent. Nobody can see. And so they, they can just do their thing. And they shot it like, I don't know, six or seven times just to make sure they got it right. Just different, try different things. And yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, so my, the, the next thing I wrote was, um, it's funny how I wrote it because it's like, looks like it's written by a three-year-old. <laughs> yeah. And it says slow fighting sleep. <laughs> what? That's what I wrote down. And it looks like a three-year-old wrote it because I was falling asleep so bad. Oh, <laughs> I got you. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then uh, in more clear handwriting, I wrote, it's exactly what I thought it would be. And not what I thought it would be at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the next, it says power grip, back of the neck. I don't know where that was featured, but I did. I guess I did want to share it with you guys that um, that's something that people do when they want power over you is they'll grab you by the back of the neck. And that must have happened some point in this film where I thought it was interesting to note. So, yeah, just like that's a power move. Um, Sometimes you'll see an abusive relationship. So it's just a good thing to know if you feel someone grabbing you by the back of the neck. Note, why is this happening to me? Because they're trying to establish dominance over you in a way that may be violent. Mm. Okay. Um, I wrote second half is better. You like the second half of the film better? It was a bit juicier, Mm -hmm. a little more fast paced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because we, we did break it up. We did. We watched half one night, and I was falling asleep. So Javi let me off the hook. He said I can go, and that really upsets Javi actually, because that's actually a big deal. Yeah, I don't like when I don't like stopping movies. I don't like commercial breaks because the tempo the, of yeah. a movie is and he's so right, so important. Yeah, it's, he's absolutely right. It's just sometimes I like you know I I I don't like to abide by my life by tv like i don't know if this happens to you javi or to anyone listening where like you're just kind of like so mesmerized by watching something and then the second it ends you like you're it's like you're snapped out of a spell like i literally shake myself out of it and then i go stand up and do something and i'm like wow like literally this had a power over me and i sat still for 30 minutes because of the power it holds um so when i need to do something um, and I can break away from the TV. For me, it's actually like um, I per- I prefer instances like that because I don't like it when TV when I do when I watch TV against something that I want to do like sleep or like do a task, you know. So um, so that's why that's why it's not a, as big a deal for me. But um, Javi is absolutely right that when film is created, they pay attention to the tempo and those those types of arts are not supposed to be interrupted. Yeah, it's uh, they build momentum and tension and some are very super meticulous about it. Like uh, Quentin Tarantino is like super meticulous with how he paces his scenes specifically because uh, you're building up tension and tension and release and things like that um i don't think it really this film i it felt okay because it's, it's such a slow pacing that there's just bursts of of uh action every once in a while but most of it's like chill talking drama um and undertones that if you pause it in the middle it's okay the the movie is so slow most of the time. It's okay. Cool. Well, I'm just really glad that, you know, um, it didn't bother you because I, I don't like 
tearing you away from a film because I know how big a deal that is for you. I'd prefer to just sit and watch it. And I definitely tried <laughs> to stay yeah. up. Um, I also yeah, have seen it before. So. Oh, that that is also <laughs> yeah. is helpful. I like I like getting trapped in a film. I like getting put under a spell and me too. Escape me too. from reality. Yeah, it's just um, we we did learn uh, the kind of films we like, and I do think it's really funny how like on this podcast, all um, so far, all the movies I've been recommending are like rom coms from the two thousands. Yeah, from the two thousands, yeah. and then you keep picking like re- like slower, deep movies, like more like Academy Award winning kind of stuff. Hashtag deep. Yeah, hashtag deep, <laughs> Pikey. I think it's time to talk about the polyamorous aspects of the film. Javi, do you want to go first? These guys were only able to see each other maybe once or twice a year for 20 years. They were basically comet partners. That's true. Which, for those who don't know what a comet partner is, it's like a comet, right? A comet only comes by Earth every couple of hundred years or whatever. And you'll have people like that that happen in your life where they only come by maybe once a year, maybe every couple of years. And you have intimate relationship with them. You have a strong connection or maybe a weak connection, whatever. You have a connection with them. Right. And whatever circumstance has them only be able to be in your life for that finite amount of time, every once in a blue moon, it still doesn't hinder, it might hinder your, well, every once in a blue moon. They are considered comet partners. I've had comet partners before, but I didn't know that that was a label. Uh, so, because I didn't know that that was a label, my brain, well, and I was also monogamous, but my brain was wanting to get more out of them than they were able to give me for whatever circumstance it was, and so that that hindered the relationship. But I feel like now, if I had had if I had had the mindset that I have now with those people. I'm sure we would still be comic partners. So are you communicating this because you think that if Jack Twist was of the mindset of a polyamorous perspective, that he wouldn't need to ask Ennis for more because he would be satisfied with what Ennis could give and be able to pursue it with other people? I think it, it would be. Yeah, I think it would be just fine. Like, obviously, they love each other so much that they want to be with each other. And part of that might also be a monogamous mindset. I think it might be a monogamous mindset because they're looking for the one. Mm-hmm. And I think that they found it in those in the in each other. And they think that no one else is going to be their soulmate like that. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they're, well, one, they're probably not looking that seriously due to their um, situations. Mm-hmm. So I think you might be right about that. Yeah. And I mean, um, who was it? One of them eventually did find like another person, like another guy. I think that was Jack because he was thinking about taking that guy up to the mountains instead or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, because they, there was they had a cabin or something. Yeah. Um, so he, I think he he must have been seeing that man, huh? Yeah, they that was said. You know, oh. yeah, he was saying that you know let's go do some fishing, and then he said that. That sounds to, nice. Yeah, so they they went. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and they had that and. Ennis is so, I, I remember now, it was Jack who did that because Ennis um, was jealous about Jack seeing other men, doesn't feel jealous about them being with other women. Um, so, 
in their eyes. That's funny. That's like nowadays when you have like a woman in a relationship and a lot of men are like, you can make out with women because it's not, it doesn't count. Yeah. One penis policy. Where's the real threat Mm -hmm. in the perception of the person? Yes. Giving that rule. Yeah. So so it's a kind of a, of a one penis policy. Yeah. You're right. Oh my God. That's so funny how that translates here right now. Which uh, for anybody who doesn't know one penis policy means uh one typically like Haley just said it is a, a man and a woman in a relationship and they're in an open relationship it's but gross yes but the only people that the woman is allowed to see is other women not other men and the man can also see other women so women don't count yeah women don't count it's not a threat to the actual relationship that's what they say that's not what i'm saying that's that's where the one that's penis a, policy comes that. from, and yeah. it's a it's a very toxic, obviously. Um, well, we perceive it to be. I'm sure it works for someone somewhere. Hey, everything yeah. works for someone somewhere. Yeah, you know. And I'm not dis- we're not discrediting the people who do it in a way that feels healthy or safe for everyone mm-hmm. involved, but typically it does seem like it comes more from a place of ignorance and uh, something gross. Yeah. Imagine if they were Polly. In the time that they are living in, in the 60s, Wyoming, very uh, conservative and homophobic places they're living in, they still would be would have to be hiding. Mm-hmm. Even even more, they're yeah. they're homosexuals mm-hmm. and they're polyamorous. God, they're, they're devil worshippers at this point. You know, they're sacrificed. It feels really hopeless. Yeah, I mean, you know, they were able to keep it secret. And if if their wives were on board, if everyone was cool, like I'm sure everything would have been great. Like everyone would have worked as a team to keep everything cool, you know, to keep everything undercover and secret. And people would have been helping each other out. I don't know about that. If the wives were cool with it, if everyone was on board with polyamory. But, they're not, but the wives, it's a loveless and probably sexless marriage in terms of the way that the women probably want their marriages to be it's not what they want or what they probably need or deserve no no no. with their mindsets as they are now that wouldn't that wouldn't yeah no i mean like just as people because like like I, i i'm sure that there are people out here very happily willing to be a beard for someone um like you know maybe like for example i can think of a situation where maybe an asexual person um, has a bestie who's gay and needs a beard or something for whatever reason. And, you know, people like that maybe have had marriages. And I can see someone in a situation like that being okay with that kind of marriage. But that's not what these women got into. They got into your typical, you know, marriage, house, kids, relationship structure. And they want that husband that will love them and make them feel loved and supported and everything that anybody wants from a relationship typically. Um, so I don't think that if they were poly, that that would have helped the women um, in the way that they needed it or wanted it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I just, I, I saw the only, cause if the, if the guys were poly, Jack is just Jack is kind of doing poly. Cause he's like seeing other they're both kind of they're both non-monogamous in um, a way they don't no, they might not that's feel not like it true no that's not true no because you aren't you are within whatever label you ascribe yourself and if they 
ascribe to monogamy, then they are monogamous. They're just being unethically monogamous, just like you can be unethically polyamorous or ethically polyamorous. It's whatever you say you are, and they are monogamous. They're just bad at it. Mm. Well, this is a great line because Ennis doesn't consider himself to be gay. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe he does, but he'll never say it out loud. Mm. He probably does but it's just like it's like it's a it's a deep covered shame where he's probably not saying it to himself but that's is what is, is what's happening and then with jack he is aware he's gay and has found a beard and is aware of the situation just he's more more aware of himself can you explain what a beard is oh um do you not know what that is no Okay, um, so great. Awesome. I love that I get to teach you something. So a beard is basically um, a person in a relationship that um, somebody uh, typically of homosexuality is using to look uh, straight. I figured that's what it was, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, typically uh, it, it, that, that name is ascribed to a woman who is married to a gay, win, a gay man wittingly or unwittingly. Mm-hmm. And there was two beards here in this story. Yeah. So um so yeah, that was um that was something I, I I actually wrote down was beards and you know what that was like for them. So it's interesting that that kind of segued really naturally from your um note on the polyamorous aspects of this film. Okay. Um so the notes that I have um, I like. I guess I liked the word betrothed more than fiance. <laughs> I just. I don't know. I, I wrote that down. Um, I wrote they seem to be struggling really hard with their feelings. Um, Jack is a fucking homewrecker. Mm. Let's talk about it. Okay. Um, well. He just kind of like wanders his way into any relationship. He's extremely reckless in how he maneuvers the relationships. Um, that's I don't I don't really have much to say about that other than that. Can you explain the situation that you saw him as a homeworker? Um, I can't remember entirely, but I'm pretty sure it's the one that you brought up a moment ago about you know that that man that he met also had an entire family. Um, so you know gay straight bi or what have you you know he's walking into those situations of people who are probably definitely monogamous and just being a floozy um just yeah it's such a disregard for his own family i don't think he cares yeah i don't think he cares yeah yeah so yeah he's just pretty pretty reckless you know so it like hypothetically if he were a practicing a polyamorous practitioner, or if he was a polyamorous practitioner, it at least based on this current display of behavior, he would be horrible at it. Yeah. Or, well, at least he's honest and he's really great with emotional communication, it seems, or at least better than Ennis. So maybe if he were presented with the um, opportunity to explore that, he might actually be good at it and it might be the better route for him. But as he is, bad. Yeah. I also wrote down Comet Partner. So we're on the same page about Mm. that understanding of their relationship. Um, I was I was feeling um, pretty impacted by Jack's death. Um, There was a an impactful situation for me in my life where I back in high school, Javi's aware of the story. Um, 
And I won't go too much into it because um, it's really important for me to stay respectful. Um, but there was um, a boy that went to my high school and he ended up passing away um, extremely prematurely and unnecessarily. And I, um, you know, had like a crush, you know, and, um, you know, like I never really talked to him much. Like he rode my bus and stuff and I just like had a huge crush and I thought he was adorable and I would like sneak a picture when he wasn't looking, I still have it. That one picture I took of him on the bus and I actually made art from it in my sketchbook. I think I showed him and yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, he passed away. So I just never had the opportunity to really tell him how I felt. And the, that changed my life. You know, like he, the way, the way that he changed my life and that, because now I work really hard to make sure that if I have a feeling about somebody, I tell them. So to watch Jack die with that, I guess, fight, that last fight they had hanging over their head like that. And just like not being able to fully express what you want to say um, because of whatever is holding you back is so tragic to me um i guess because it happened to me so i try really really hard to tell people what i'm thinking or what i'm feeling about them and you know just like not have any regrets about um you know the love that you share like if you love someone just tell them and tell them often you know a friend or what whatever you know like and that's still something that i have to to work on too because um you know, I, something I want to work on more and that I, I, I think I have been working on for a long time, like maybe within the last, like, how old am I? 27. I had a boyfriend when I was in, in between my junior and senior year of college. Um, he's fantastic and we're still friends. My mom adores him. Um, but there something that that was the catalyst for me ending the relationship was that I told him I loved him and he didn't reciprocate that. Um, and I don't think it's because he didn't love me. I think it was because he was too scared to tell me that he loved me. And I knew that intuitively that that is what was, what was happening, but him not saying it was a very new experience for me. It's not actually, it never happened before up until that point. If I love somebody and I said it, they, they said it back. So I never had to deal with being so vulnerable and raw and having someone not reciprocated in the moment that it totally broke my heart. And I was, I was really upset and impacted by that. But I think what that kind of opened up for me in my life was being more able to communicate my love without needing them to love me back. And that's something I'm still actively working on. And I don't, I don't want to love conditionally. Like I don't want you to need to give me what I give you for me to give you what I want to give you. So even now, like there's people who don't give me attention that I want or give me what I want or give me even a fraction of what I give them. But I still try to completely give as much love as I can because there's just really not many feelings out there that are worse than somebody dying and you didn't get to say what you wanted to say. So 
just please like just just love and like love often and tell people the truth about what you think and what you feel and and be brave don't hold back don't say things in your head say it out loud um absolutely and you know you you inspire me to also <laughs> do that that helps me be more courageous when i'm encountering a type of situation like that like oh just go talk to them just tell them how you feel or just just ask them out or whatever it could be small things like that when before i would just say ah maybe maybe in a better time maybe in a different lifetime yeah maybe in another world now i'm just like yeah. this lifetime this F- moment yeah. and now fuck it Life's this is short. this is it you know what we have right here is it and you don't want to sit on the sidelines of your own life mm-hmm. absolutely that's a great message Haley. thank you thank you um i feel weird <laughs> talking about that guy from high school um it feels like it feels weird because we didn't know each other but he will be forever be one of the most influential people of my life you know right. i'm totally fine you know i like being honest with you guys and i like that you when i like sharing myself with you and i really appreciate you being here i'm talking to you you listening right now i appreciate you being here and receiving me and my partner as we authentically communicate with you about our experiences and our thoughts and our feelings and our hearts and we're just we're we're happy to be here with you wow we have both cried in this episode <laughs> that's so yeah this is a <laughs> this movie <laughs> this movie is really impactful it, it opens up stuff it does yeah i i will recommend it to anyone everywhere all everywhere all at once <laughs> that's also a great movie yeah so javi could these problems be fixed with polyamory drum roll please no No. (laughs) (laughs) i thought you would say yes no no okay you go first even if they were poly they will still face the same issues but imagine they live in a great society right the the people themselves jack is so careless as you said you know homewrecker and all these things he's so careless with how he navigates relationships and ennis is so emotionally unavailable and uncommunicative and repressed and shameful about his feelings that man they're just not ethical i don't think they would be good poly people there's a lot they lie a lot they they lie a lot to their to their wives oh that's as well and to each other yeah you can't you can't enter um typically i am like like we're saying like there's always exceptions to whatever we say is concrete of course but um i think typically you can't enter relationships hopefully or but especially i think polyamorous relationships uh, with lying it's just going to be to your and the relationship's detriment you're not going to uphold anything like that um there's a lot that needs to be hammered out before they could even consider balancing multiple relationships Mm -hmm. so um yeah um and and then you think about because like we do try to think about would polyamory work for the characters in the space that they're in not an ideal world right so um i think that's why javi and i both agree that like where they are at mentally physically um it's not going to work in their time um being just with each other didn't seem like it was going to work long term because of 
the um, targeting that they were so directly facing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, just because they, they, it's just the, the hardest thing for me to get over is like be, how much they lie. And it's like, sure, the society they're in, they, they feel like they need to lie. Um, but it's like they lie to each other too. Like Jack lies to Ennis saying that he was banging the foreman's wife, but it's actually the foreman he's banging. They're not good. They're complex characters. And I really love that about this film. I love that the film doesn't paint them to just like be absolutely 100% pure good guys and we should root for them no matter what. They're complicated and a little bad, sometimes a little mean. And that's that's what makes them human. That's that's people. They definitely seem real, very fleshed out. Yeah. And just just like real people, most real people. Um, they don't make no damn sense. They don't make no damn sense. They they, <laughs> they will be monogamous and not poly. So. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> what do you rate this film? This is a five for me. Uh, yeah, five when I first saw it. Five again. Probably five when I see it next time. My review that I left on Letterboxd for it the first time was. Uh, you know, how about I cried? And then when I left another review after we saw it again, I said, watched it again, cried again. Mm-hmm. It's just whenever, if a, mo- if a movie can move me to such an extent, even if it was a horrible movie, even if it was so boring or lackluster, if it was still able to move me like that, that's a five for me. It created an experience. It created emotion in me. And that's what I want out of a film at the end of the day. So it'll be provoked with thought truly entertained or moved that's that's what i would like from a, from a film okay thank you for sharing yeah what about you so i've actually changed my rating three times okay yeah the first time was a 2.5 mm. the second time was a three mm. and then this this time today right now as i'm talking i'm going to change it to a 3.5 okay yeah hey and I think it's just because, I think it's just because for me, um, you know, this movie's a little too subtle for me. I need to be more hit on the head with messages for it to sink in. Um, it needs to be more in my face or maybe literally directly communicated. Um, I don't seem to pick up on subtlety very well. So um, that's a lot of things went over my head that were only revealed to me through careful consideration or research um um and also experience through um taking the characters stories and chewing on it mixed with my story recently um that allowed me to ponder in a different way so um that's why my rating has come from a 2.5 to 3.5 in the span of a couple of weeks so an average rating of about four and a quarter for us. All right. Let's see what Letterboxd has to say. Imagine they give it like a one. No, right. that is insane. It's totally a five star. <laughs> yeah. Uh, average of 4.1 out of five stars. Oh, we're average. Which Yay. Is, yeah. Hey, that's pretty that's We pretty We good. actually get along with people this time. Yeah. We've reached a consensus that most people have. That is wonderful. That's beautiful. It's yeah. nice to get along with people. Yeah. So here's some reviews. His back sure got broke on that mountain. 
My eyes just widened so big. That was pretty. That was pretty uh, out there. Uh, four stars. Two bros chilling by a campfire, five feet apart because they're not, not gay. Oh, oh wait. No, it cuts <laughs> off on the G. <laughs> that is funny. Um, someone. <laughs> so has the quote. You know, it could be just like this, just like this always. Ennis has never opened up to anyone before the way he did with Jack, not even to his own wife or children. He put his guard up to anyone and everyone except for Jack. Jack is the only person that he trusts enough to tell him about his past, to laugh with him, to get intimate with him. Ennis and Jack were both born in the wrong time and in the wrong place and were kept apart because of circumstance. Their love for each other is so strong, so tender, and so beautiful that when they are apart from each other, they are physically in pain. Jack and Ennis are two men who couldn't love each other fully because of societal pressure and internalized homophobia. Jack tells Ennis time and time again how much he wants to be with him, how much he misses him, how much he longs for him. Ennis is still haunted by the gruesome death of a gay man from his childhood that he gives up any hope of a happy and fulfilling life with Jack. The last time they see each other, Jack pleads to him one last imagining the life that they could have led to together. Until it's too late and Jack is mercilessly murdered for being gay. Jack is forever haunted with the life that they would have had together. He promises to remember Jack. I guess they meant Ennis in that. Mm -hmm. Ennis is forever haunted. Yes. Ennis is uh, forever haunted. And he promises to remember Jack. He promises to be proud of the time they spent together or their everlasting love, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And with that, he breathes in the scent from his lover's shirt. The only thing he has left from his is a postcard and a bloody shirt. A final goodbye to his one and only. And you know, they said it better than I ever could. Yeah, I mean, wow, that was amazing. That was beautiful. And you know that the last line, he he's in his Ennis is in his trailer, and he sees the bloody jacket, and he smells it, and he sees the the picture of Jack. Uh, and he he just tells him, he just says, "Jack, I swear," and then it just pans away. And I was thought, I was like, "What? What does that mean?" But I think they oh. just put it beautifully. Like he he swears he will remember him and honor him and all these things, and will forever love him. Well, I guess it's up to interpretation. It is, yeah. That's what I was actually just thinking. You totally took the words out of my mind. Uh, Ennis. I don't like boys. Ennis takes one good look at Jack. Ennis again. I like one boy. <laughs> they always say yeehaw, but they never ask ha ye. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, Ennis exists. Jack, country boy, I love you. <laughs> yeah, so there we go, everybody. That's Brokeback Mountain. I hope everyone was able to get something from that conversation. Um, and I'm excited to hear what Haley has in store for us next month. Haley, what are we watching next month? Javier, I'm so glad you asked. Um, March. My birthday. Springtime. Uh, a lucky time for the world as I have entered in that time. Uh, lucky, you know, like St. Patrick's Day. Which, Javi, could you please tell them the significance of St. Patrick's Day to us? St. Patrick's Day is the day that we first kissed. 
mm-hmm. and where we fell in love with each other. It was a very lucky time of year, March. So to build on that, we're going to be watching a 2010 drama, melodrama, Amy Adams, Adam Scott from Parks and Rec, mm-hmm. and Matthew Good. Can you do me a drum roll, Mr. Drummer Boy? Leap year. Oh yes, we have seen this. You saw it. I see. Saw. I saw some of it. It's um, it's a feel good favorite for me. I'm excited. Yes, I'm excited. This has poly themes. Yes. Ah. Okay. There we go. There we go. All right. Awesome. I am excited, and I do love the balance that you and I seem to have, where you pick a deep movie and then I pick something more light. Mm -hmm. um, At least for this season. Uh, looking forward to future seasons with you, Javi. I can't wait. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please share, review, or comment to help us get discovered by new listeners. You can follow us on Instagram at JustBePolyPodcast to stay updated on new episodes. I'm Haley. And I'm Javi. And this has been the Just, Just Be, Be Polly Podcast. Podcast. See you next time.